0: Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Two,
1: one. <clears throat> Welcome back, Hawkeye fans. This is Rob Howe, publisher of HawkeyeNation.com, uh, with another podcast. And today I'm thrilled, and I, and I don't say that term lightly, and it's not hyperbole, to be joined by former Hawkeye and NFL receiver Quinn Early. How are you doing today, Quinn?
0: I'm doing great, Rob. Thanks for having me on your show.
1: Yeah, I appreciate it. It's been a long time, man. I don't know if I've talked to you since Chance was being recruited here. And, and I hesitate to ask you how long ago that was because it's probably going to make both of us feel older.
0: God, it's, it, it's got to be going on 10 years. Wow. I mean, he's Yeah, yeah. So um, he ended up going to the uh, University of Reno, Nevada, where actually Gene Orvell, former Hawkeye, yeah. is the head coach there now. But he went and played for Coach Alt. Uh, he was there for a couple of seasons, and then you know he had some injuries, and then just decided to uh, to just go to school. But uh, yeah, I remember when he was getting recruited. Yeah, I remember going
1: meeting out with you guys at the Marriott when you guys came out here on your recruiting visit. When I came out yeah. and interviewed him out there and talked to you. And man, ten years ago, I. I wouldn't have predicted that. I was thinking in my head, I'm hoping this is around five years. ago.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I know it goes so fast, but it, it it's, yes, yeah, it's, it's more like it's, it's around nine years, but it's coming up on 10 for sure. Wow. Time does well. Yeah.
1: So, you know, I really wanted to get you on Quinn, not only cause I haven't talked to you in a while and it's great to catch up, but also just kind of to to bring you in uh, on this story. That's really just you know, at Iowa, it's part of what's going on in this country. It's not—it's not unique to Iowa. It's—it's it's what I think you know. Everybody's eyes have been open to um, during the last month, month plus, and—and and it's right. really an important conversation. I think people sometimes try to run from it, but it's just that's not, at least from my mind, that's not what we need to do. We need to kind of keep talking and addressing this stuff. And I'm going to read your tweet from, this was June 30th, which I guess was Tuesday, And uh, Mm -hmm. Quinn Early, at Quinn Early on Twitter. You guys go give him a follow. He needs more followers. Let's see how many Quinn has. (laughs) Quinn's got 2,800 followers. That's criminal. He should have way more than that. (laughs) He's got more to say. And great Hawkeye. And you guys should go follow him. So at Quinn Early. And his tweet, my experience at Iowa is my own. I had an amazing one. Any adversity I faced helped me to forge, helped to forge me into the man I am. The bond I developed with my brothers is still strong. I've known Kirk, and that's Kirk Ferentz, since 1983. Great man! Exclamation point. Life isn't always perfect. Be the hero in yours. Proud to be a Hawkeye! Exclamation point. What I guess before we get into this, Quinn, what kind of? Um, I don't know if motivated is the right word, but what, what led you maybe to, to putting that tweet out there? I know you're not, a, you're not somebody that's you know, super active on social media.
0: Right, right. Yeah, I try to stay away from that stuff you know, for, as much as I can. So, but I comment when I feel it's appropriate. And, um, you know, I, I realize that there have been some players who have had some uh, bad experiences and we talked about this off the air and but you know and, and the big thing for me is and let me start by saying I don't want to take anything away from those players and their experiences nor do did I make that tweet to intimate that no it's not that way it's, it's one way or the other. So. For those guys, they have. I'm sure they have legitimate you know, gripes with their, their own personal experiences. Um, I just wanted to let people know of my personal experience. And that was, you know, when I came in there, you know, from Long Island, New York. Um, you know, I'm 17, 18 years old. What year was that,
1: Quinn? Love this people. is 19...
0: 19- this is 1983. So again, okay, yeah. we're, we're, again, we're, we're talking about how old
1: we are. <laughs> <know>. I'm sorry.
0: <laughs> no, no, not at all. I'm just, I'm, I'm kidding. But, but, you know, so when I got to Iowa, um, you know, uh, coach Ferenc at the time, he was a young guy too. I mean, he was probably his second year there, third year there. Um, he was in his twenties. And so I've known him since I was 18 years old. Um, And we still have a friendship to this day. You know, I went back last year to a game and uh, it was was probably two years ago. I'm sorry. And I went up into his office and we had a conversation and I was talking about the fact that myself, Robert Smith, Kerry Burt, you know, my teammates back then, we all made a pact to one another that we would get our um, we would graduate we would get our education and that we would pay that forward to the younger players coming in because we thought it was important. It was, you know, it was being a student, then an athlete, right? Student athlete and not the other way around. And when I told coach that he thought that was amazing. He actually flew me back out to have me talk to the team just about the importance of academics, um, getting through adversity, you know, doing things like that. So, you know, we've always had a, had a good relationship.
1: Um, yeah. And I mean, that goes, that's, that's really, that that goes back a long way. And, um, mm-hmm. yeah. And I, I think the important thing here is, you know, in, in stories like this, you know, people try to, I think it's human nature to try to take a side here instead of, sure. You know, it's, I haven't heard any players come out and really say, Kirk Ferentz is a bad guy or, right. you know, you, you know, but it doesn't mean that he can't mis- make mistakes. And he's come out absolutely. publicly and admitted that. So, absolutely. you know, and I think that's kind of what you're kind of driving at here, Quinn, is you know, people shouldn't just look at these stories that have come out from players and their experiences that were different mm-hmm. than yours and say, sure. hey, this can't be true because Kirk Ferentz is a great guy. We all make mistakes.
0: No, absolutely. And that's a really good point. Even he, you know, I watched uh, his initial press conference. And I can see it in him. It was, it was, he was totally genuine about the fact that maybe he didn't listen well enough, or maybe he didn't take some of these grievances seriously enough. Um, and he was apologetic, and he said that he wants to be better, and he, and, and he wants to make the program different. So the things that are happening now, those are definitely topics that need to be addressed. And, and listen, have I had some things happen to me with regards to, you know, race and stuff like that? Absolutely. I, you know, I always say that, you know, sometimes being black, it's almost like everything is great, you're moving along, and then racism will hit you in the face like a pie out of nowhere every now and then. And I've had that happen. But for me, I've always used, and this just doesn't have to do with race, this has to do with any adversity, any obstacles, anything that I've ever had to face, um, I always use it. you might have heard me use this analogy before, but I always use it as fuel to propel my rocket to to, to just to make me go even harder right. and be successful in anything that I do. you know, so but 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 going back to what we were saying, I definitely think these are important conversations. And that's how, that's how you grow, that's how you change. The thing that I get a l- little upset about is just the fact that some of the things that are going on, not at Iowa, but in our country in general is that people are becoming divided. Listen, I know there's an election, politics, blah, 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 yeah. I don't want right. to get into that. Right. But I'm just talking about us as a people. This is the greatest country. So people have to, you know, not, it's not about hating your own country. It's just about learning from our mistakes and growing. And that's – I think it's just a really important thing. So,
1: you know, you, you look at this situation, and uh, I wonder how much of it is generational too. Um, yes. and, and that's not – I'm not trying to say people are soft now because it seems like people go, you know, these, this is just tough football. And I, I just – I think that's too – that's, that's marginalizing. Maybe people that feel, you can't, again, you can't understand what somebody else feel is feeling and going through it's them. It's course. their life. Um, but I mean, again, not, not to date you again and, and date both of us, but you know, 1983 to whenever you finished up in, in your NFL career is a lot different than, than the world is now.
0: And Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I wonder
1: how much that factors in. What do you think?
0: Well, I, I, it, it probably does. And I, I, here's the big difference in my eyes. When I was in my 20s and younger, when I played at Iowa, we didn't have Instagram, Facebook, right. Twitter, all of that stuff. So now it's a lot easier to put out your feelings, your opinions, your views. And with that comes a lot of scrutiny also, right? Right. You get somebody who has a different opinion, a different way of thinking, and now it's just a big, you know, Twitter war or Facebook, you know, thing or or something like that. So, you know, that's part of the reason why um, I personally don't don't get on there and and, and just blast out stuff. Right. right. Because you're inviting. You're, you're inviting a whole you're inviting the whole world into commenting on your opinions. So, so so I just think that, you know, that's, that's probably the biggest difference. You know, there wasn't that outlet when I was a younger guy. I wonder what your experiences was
1: like. And I, and I, I know, um, you know, Iowa was wanting, uh, they, they offered chance, your son, a preferred walk on, but obviously you went through this process as a father too, with, a, with a son that was going through the recruiting process. I wonder mm-hmm. if you can speak a little bit to, to what that experience is like, was like, um, w- with chance being recruited by Iowa.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I, that experience, I was bummed that that did that, uh, scenario didn't work out. I would have loved to see to have seen him in the black and gold. Um, But like you said, it didn't work out. But the recruiting process, it's it's a lot different. You know, back then, you know, when I was coming out of high school, I didn't, I just knew I wanted to play college football. I knew I wanted to play in the NFL, but I didn't really know how to get there. I didn't know that, you know, the college process and all that stuff. They just, I guess they heard about me and then they just came to see me. Um, Whereas now, everybody knows about how to get recruited how to you know and there's just a lot more again with the social media right there's just a lot more ways to be seen but with that also comes listen I coach I coach uh, high school football out here in in San Diego Cathedral Catholic High School Mm -hmm. and you're still doing
1: that that. that's awesome yeah
0: yeah I actually uh got busy the last couple of years so I really couldn't do it but I'm back this year because I really good to hear
1: that you're working with kids again man
0: yeah, yeah, I missed it, so I'm I'm back at it. But the, the part of the funny thing is, is that every kid is a D1 kid, <laughs> right? And if they if don't think act- so, their parents do, right? Oh yeah, no, and it's more, <laughs> <laughs> it's more parents. It's unbelievable, right? So it's a lot harder for coaches, and you know, in that process also, because they really have to sift through, and and see who actually are those kids that are going to be going to iowa and michigan and usc and all these big colleges you know but the nice thing is is that there's so many quality football programs out there um you know on on all those levels so but but yeah it's definitely a different process uh i had to relearn about how that process works and uh you know for chance you know he had a he had a good experience where he was and um you know, he just learned a lot. He learned a lot about, you know, just the whole teamwork and family and brotherhood and all that stuff. So he had a good experience.
1: Yeah. That kind of leads me to the next question. For those of us that aren't in a, you know, in a college football locker room, you know, or an NFL locker room, you've, you've been able to do both. Um, mm-hmm. What, it, you know, what is that environment like? Because that we're hearing now at least, and, and you know, Kirk and Gary Barta have, have addressed that there needs to be some, some change within the walls and how, how it's more, I think the word they use is, and I think it's a good word, a more inclusive environment for everybody yes. in there. Um, yes. From your experience, what helps that, um, you know, what, what, is the, what's it, what was it like for you in the 80s in the Iowa locker room? How inclusive was that? What was your relationship like with everybody in the locker room?
0: Well, see, here's the thing for me. See, I was fortunate enough to grow up in a town where uh, all of my high school friends, you know, we were black, white, Hispanic, uh, you know, um, Asian. Uh, I think we even had a Native American kid in there, you know, and we were brothers, man. Nobody saw any color. Um, I will say when I first got to Iowa that, you know, in a lot of cases, Um, the team was separated, you know, it's like the black kids sat over here, the white kids sat over here. And it wasn't, it wasn't even necessary. It wasn't a race thing, but it was a, what you're used to thing. Mm -hmm. Right. And uh, but for me, I've just, I didn't see any of that. Um, So, but, but I will say that, you know, Coach Fry did a really good job of, bringing our team together, right? Because if a team is separated, it's hard for them to be successful, right? You have to be, it has to be family. It has to be brotherhood. Um, so I think we were really successful in that regard. And I think that Kurt, or Coach Ferenz has done a really good job with that as well. I Listen, again, I'm, I wasn't there during these years. I can really just only speak of my relationship with him. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I have met Coach Doyle, but I didn't really know him. Um, and some of the other people that were there. But I do know that Iowa is it's just a great it's a great program and I would send my kids there ten out of ten times if they were gonna go and and then be students and student athletes there.
1: Queen, you talked about Coach Fry, um, I don't know if promoting is the right word, but but um, and maybe promoting is the right word to have everybody try to have relationships with each other, regardless of background, you know, where they came from, race, things like that. You know, we, we know, um, you know, his, his background in the, you know, the, you know, when he, when he coached and had Jerry Levias, you know, Mm -hmm. breaking the color barrier. I mean, coach Fry very, very, uh, aware of that. I mean, coming from Texas and trying to integrate the, you know, the Southwest conference, um, what was he like in that regard? Did, did he, was it a conscious thing? Did you feel like with him
0: or was it just kind of there? I just, you know, it wasn't even really, you know, it wasn't like on a day-to-day basis, like people were thinking about race. You know what I mean? It, it, it you know, I, I do think that, I, let me just say that I went to Coach Ross' funeral in Dallas and to see the generations of men black, white, just all and everybody together. And everybody was hugging and talking about what a great man Coach Fry was. And Coach Ferenc was there. I got to visit with Bill Snyder and some of my old coaching staff and some of the old players. I mean, you know, Bob Stoops was there and Jonathan Hayes and Chuck Long. And, you know, it, it, there was zero of that. And um, it was just a great thing to behold, you know. And I think that one of the things that coach Fry did was he passed down to these coaches who have all had phenomenal coaching careers in their own right, you know, the diversity, the, you know, um, how to be with the players and all that stuff. Now, listen, are there bad apples in every single group of every walk of life? Absolutely. Um, But I think overall, you know, it's overwhelmingly, I got nothing but a positive feeling from my experience with Coach Fry. And even to this day, still, when I go back and visit with the team. And again, not taking away from anybody who had negative experiences right. because I wasn't there. I can't, I can't speak on it.
1: And you obviously, I mean, I don't think you can say uh, as a black man, you've gone through life and however old you are without seeing any racism in your life.
0: No, absolutely. And that's what you know, earlier in our conversation, right. I, I had mentioned that, um, you know, and I could I, I you know, I we probably don't have time, but I could I, I can I could give you examples of that, you know, and even when I was at Iowa, but I mm-hmm. didn't let that dominate. Again, I'm just talking about myself, right? I didn't let that dominate my experience, or um,
1: where I was going. back
0: to hold me back. Exactly. Right
1: exactly um in 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 you know in conjunction with that you know i've heard um you know and i i have friends that you know of color who have you know had had children and and you, this is part of the conversation i think we've had in the last month or so mm-hmm. about having to you know teach their kids that this is out there in the world and and you have yes. to be conscious of that did you as a parent did you do that
0: I did. Absolutely. So my conversation, let's, let's take, um, driving, for example, um, when I was teaching my children how to drive, I think I had probably a different conversation with my kids than a lot of people who are not black. Um, and when I say that, you know, again, not to say that, you know, all police are bad. Listen, when you're out there, that's a hard job that those guys have. Right. So they are weary of everyone, but I do think that there are times when, if you're black in this country, you might get profiled a little bit. Um, I actually had an experience where I got pulled over and I did everything right, but yet guns were drawn um, until they found out who I was and now you know they wanted autographs or whatever. So, But anyway, so the conversation that I had with my sons were, Anytime you are dealing with a police, or anytime you get pulled over, make sure that your hands are at ten o'clock and two o'clock. You roll down your window, put your hands on the steering wheel, just sit still when they ask you, you know, for direction. You know, to to do things, you just follow their directions and all that, and everything should be fine. But, you know, um, it was a little bit more directed to the fact that they might depending on who the officer is, they might be looking at you a little bit differently, right? So that is a conversation. And I had, I'm just gonna give you just one more story. So we had uh, on Chance's high school team, our running back, uh, young man, uh, black kid. He was at the mall, you know, on his way to practice. And when I saw him at practice, I could see the look on his face. And I asked him, what what happen I said, are you okay? What's wrong? He said he was up at the mall. Uh, cops pulled him over, you know, drew, drew their guns on him, put him in handcuffs. Um, looking for this guy, he matched the description. Yeah. But once they found out that it wasn't him, they didn't apologize to him. They just told him, stay out of trouble, and they walked away laughing. This is a 17-year-old kid, and now yeah. he's traumatized. You know, things like that. You know what I mean? Um, so it is out there, it definitely is out there. But again, you can't, I have friends that are cops. And I know a lot of, as a matter of fact, I used to coach on the, uh, the, the San Diego Enforcers are a semi-pro um, police football league and great, some great guys on that team. So you can't, because of one or two bad apples, you can't put everybody in that basket. And just get rid of the police. You know what I mean? It's just right. not, it's just not something that should happen.
1: Yeah, and I think that's part of this whole thing. And we, we talked about it earlier with the Iowa program. It's just you can't just make a blanket description of you know, and, and say the entire police force is corrupt and racist or the entire Iowa football program, is they, it's racist, and it, they bully players. Right. But you also can't say everything's okay if it's not.
0: Right, absolutely. absolutely. So, but I think that that's where, that's where the changes are made when you have the head coach that says, listen, we have to be better, and we mm-hmm. have to listen, and we have to you know, move forward in that regard. I think that that's just a really good start right there.
1: For sure, for sure.
0: I was listening to a podcast recently
1: with one of your former teammates, Ronnie Harmon, who did not have a good experience out here, and he uh, Mm -hmm. he he described that, and a lot of it for him, and I and I've heard and I and I've heard these stories from um, from some of the players. You know, a lot of it off the record um, from some of these players that are telling their stories now. It's got to be difficult, and you came from halfway across the country. For a lot of guys, this is their first time away from home, and they're coming into an environment. And uh, especially now, I, I think people expect to be even more accepted or welcome, and that should be the case. We should be advancing as a society where everybody's created equal. Right. And I, I just I it's, I'm hearing stories where guys coming from different areas of the country, different backgrounds, it's been tough to assimilate to what's going on here. And uh, I wonder what, again, it seemed like your experience when growing up was a little bit easier for you to transition?
0: Yeah, I think some of that has to just do with culture. And when I say culture, I mean, it could be black and white, it could be. But for me, it was coming from New York, right where it's it's New York has is more of a um, keep to yourself every man for himself type of thing you know and it's more you know your head's on a swivel and then when you come to Iowa right um, aren't as many people um it's a lot you know um let's just say people are you know in in Iowa people are friendlier I remember when getting there and people saying good morning to me and I was like God, that person doesn't even know. You know, it's just so 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 more of a cultural thing, from that regard, um, than a race thing. That that, that was again my experience. Um, but I adjusted, right? If you go anywhere, it's it's. I have a friend that you know, from San Diego, and then their son went to Kentucky, University of Kentucky, mm-hmm. and he, and he came back just totally a different different way of living there it's just a, it was a cultural thing how
1: and i'm kind of asking you to speculate but you've been through this and you've been in these mm-hmm. locker rooms and you've been in these environments mm-hmm. what what are maybe in your mind some of the keys to making sure that it's an inclusive environment and that everybody's treated equally
0: i'm alex rodriguez and i'm jason kelly from bloomberg this is the deal When you say- I know, um, complicated. Complicated uh, yeah, like question. inclusive environment. Like when, we, when you go in the locker room, you're just in the locker room. Right. I mean, you're with your friends. I mean, we're, there's jokes, right? You're laughing with your buddies, you know? And listen, here's the thing about football. To me, I've always said that football is like a microcosm for life, right? Because when you're working in a corporation and you're in that office, You're gonna have to deal with different personalities and people from different walks of life, right? You're gonna have the super intellectual guy. You're gonna have the guy who's the jokester. You're gonna have the guy who's, I don't know, who's who's hot-headed. You're gonna have the guy who's, you know, um, extra religious, you know, and on and on, right? You're gonna have all of these different personalities. But how do you get all of these personalities together and make them work as a unit, right? So that's what I've, and I've always said that football is like the number one sport that that's the case because when you get out in there in that football field, even though you guys come from different backgrounds, you come from different, you know, socioeconomic, whatever, if one guy makes a mistake, that play is not gonna work. Right. So you guys have to work as a unit. And that's the beauty of being in a locker room and part of a team. So. When I think of inclusion, I think that's the ultimate way for everybody to be included. Now, is that always perfect like anything else? No, and I'm sure it hasn't been, but I've been in a lot of locker rooms. And to me, in my experience, it's always been inclusive. And to me, when there has been something racial or racist, people get called out on it. I've called some people out on it, and then people, you know, kind of, oh, you know what I mean? Then they, Mm. they back it up. They back away from that. You know, so does it happen? Yeah. But for me, I mean, that's why I wish everybody could have an opportunity to play football. You know, just because yeah. that's where you learn that.
1: Um, I wonder if how much different the dynamic is from your experiences between a college football locker room and an NFL locker room, because we don't seem to hear about this as much I think maybe there was that Richie incognito story, but for the most part, we don't yeah. hear about this as much in the NFL, but in the last month we've, we've seen, it's not just Iowa. I mean, we're seeing players at different universities, Texas, um, trying to think of some other ones, uh, the Mississippi players coming out and getting the, mm-hmm. f- the Confederate flag changed, uh, you know, the state flag there. Um, mm-hmm and and it's neat to see the empowerment for these guys I think I think it's important but I wonder how much different it is for college athletes compared to professional athletes and the different dynamics in those locker rooms
0: what i would say is you know the the, the biggest thing is when you're in college right you're basically transitioning from boyhood into manhood right you come in at 17 18 years old and you leave at 22 and in those years, right, you, you you developed and you've made friendships and you, again, the whole team and things like that, right? It's, it's all about team and family and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. The way the NFL difference is different is NFL is pretty much every man for himself, right? Like you get in there, you work hard, you're trying to keep, you get that job, you're trying to keep that job. And even guys at your own position, even though, you know, you become friends with those people and. You know, you, you develop relationships, you know, the, the guy that's playing behind you isn't necessarily that upset when you leave or you get injured or, you know, because now it's their opportunity to play. So it's pretty much it's a business. It's more of a business. So, um, you know, in college, I think it's, you know, when it's big groups, you know, you have your team, you know, your teammates, you guys go out and you guys party together. You guys are all hanging together. You guys study together. You guys do all that. Whereas in the NFL you know, you basically go to work and you go home with your family or, you know, the, some of the younger guys, they might still go hang out and stuff like that, but it's more of a, it's more of a profession. It's more of a business. So that's, that I would say is the biggest difference.
1: Yeah. And the age dynamic, obviously this is like right. we talked about earlier. You're taking a, a kid straight out of high school and dropping him, you know, somewhere else in the country, a lot of times, and it's their first, you know, experience away from home. And, uh, there's obviously the academic part of the equation that's important. That's a little bit different. I guess in the NFL, it's probably football all the time and college or a little bit socially, academically, athletically, you're, you're maybe, um, your experiences in in different areas, more different areas.
0: Right. Absolutely. 100% agreed.
1: So what, um, you talked about it earlier. Um, and, and I think, you know, one of the, I don't want to say disturbing, but one of the unfortunate, I think um, byproducts of what's happened here is I'm seeing some sniping between like certain players um, that had different experiences here, um, mm-hmm. you know, and I think it's natural. Again, as we talked about, there were probably a lot of people that came through the program and really had a great experience with coach Doyle, coach Ference, and everybody. And, I got to imagine it's hard for them to watch and see that their teammates didn't. And and for some people probably question whether or not that's the case. Uh, it just for me, and I, I don't know if I'm asking a question here, but I hear about, you know, you still being close. And I and I talked with Dana Hughes about this, about how he still, you know, goes up to Wisconsin in a summer, you know, and, and is in a cabin and, and meets with the guys he played with at Iowa you know, still to this day, and they, they, they go on trips together, and I'm sure you have relationships like that with the guys you played with. Absolutely. That, that's got to make this even harder.
0: It is hard. It is hard. Um, you know, uh, like you said, listen, I've got friends. When I go back to Iowa, I go Jimmy Morrow, who was my teammate. I go stay with him and his family. His wife cooks a bunch of food. I hang out with, you know, Kerry uh, Burt and, and Dwight Sistrong, and, you know, have dinner with Chuck when I was there, Chuck Long yeah and mark vlasic called me <laughs> yesterday and we talked for a while pickle you know yeah and so so the brotherhood and the bonds that i've made when i was at iowa are still there and they're still strong you know but that's that doesn't mean that there aren't issues somewhere in there that need to just be discussed and 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 just be made made aware you know um what i've always said to people is you know it's it's sometimes it's it's hard to it's hard to understand what it's like being black if you're not black. You know what I mean? Like I said, like, 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 like for example, I'm gonna give you I'm gonna give you a story. Okay. I had a buddy of mine, who also played in the NFL for years, great guy, right, white guy. And uh, he was having a discussion with my wife about you know, he was saying that there's no racism, it's not, you know, that doesn't, doesn't, and she was like, you, ain't you." she said, you, you have no, you can't say that. And so they had a little debate, I wasn't there, she told me about it. So fast forward a few weeks, um, me and my wife, him and his wife, uh, in the car, we're driving up to Temecula, which is around in San Diego, they have some wineries out there, we were going to a jazz concert. Uh, as we're driving up the freeway, there's a um, border patrol, and, you know, what the border patrol does is they, ch- they you know, they would stop people and check for um, illegal uh, aliens coming, you know, that maybe trying to sneak across the border, whatever. Uh, so, at, you know, they're standing out in the middle of the road. They're waving people past, waving people past. So when it gets to me, the guy stops the car and he comes to my car and I rolled down. And I was like, and already I'm like, here we go. Mm-hmm. I rolled down my window. He asks me, where are you headed today? we're going to the winery for a jazz concert looks in the car whose car is he asked me whose car that was i'm in a mercedes
1: mm.
0: whose car is this and i said it's my car and he was trying to you know he like hesitated hesitated and then he was like okay go on he like and then i, I rolled up my window and my buddy who had had that a debate with <laughs> My wife was like, and he started cursing. And that's bullshit, you know. I can't believe that happened. And you know, and I just told him. I said, dude, I go listen. That's just every now and then that will come out, you know. But but if you're not a person of color, you know, right, and you're not with a person of color, you'll never experience that, you know. It's it's, and that's nobody's fault. But it's just a it's just a part of it. And I could I could name. 10, 15 stories like that, you know, but I don't, but I've never just let it hold me back from anything, you know, so.
1: Yeah. And I think that's, you know, and that's a great, um, you know, that's, that's a great approach by you and, you know, you've used it to your advantage. Um, knowing that, you know, as, as hard as you try and how however many people you talk to, you're probably not going to change it. It's something that's going to take time and, um, You know, I, I think, and what you touched on there, I think is an important message for people, especially white people. It may seem impossible. And, and that's probably the extreme that it's being impossible from impossible to unlikely to however you want to judge it. Mm-hmm. But you can't know what the chances are or what the odds are that a person of color has experienced something or what it's like to, walk in their shoes. And I think that's the that's the danger. Being a white person saying, nah, no way. There's not racism. That's impossible. That wouldn't it wouldn't happen at the Iowa football program.
0: Right. So people just have to realize that it does exist and not try to challenge it like like you just made that up or it doesn't exist. Just understand it. And listen, it's all about us as individuals being good people. Right. Uh, and just and being understanding. And you don't have to um, don't apologize for other idiots that are out there that are idiots, right? You know what I mean? You do your part by just being a good person and just being understanding. That's all. And then try to spread that to others and, and hold others who aren't good, accountable. You know, for the things that they do or things that they say. That's
1: it. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's the thing is if we can get as many people as possible and this isn't a kumbaya or you know, pie in the sky <clears throat> dream, I think it's the goal that we should all strive for is to just right. have, get people around you, people you have connection with, make sure that they're treating other people fairly and equally and, being good people man if you if you see somebody you know not doing that call them out and just say listen that's not cool or let why do you or, or try to get to why they feel that way or why they're acting that way and maybe make them see that you know we're all people man we're all human and we
0: should be treated equally yep absolutely
1: well, uh, this has been a great conversation, Quinn. Uh, I really appreciate you joining me. I wanted to touch on um, your book and, and yeah. you know that you wrote about your mom and all that, and uh, I'm gonna, I want to give you the stage to kind of talk to people ab- about that book. I, I, I know it's near and dear to your heart, literally, um, and, and just kind of talk about what the book's about and, and uh, how you came to write it and, and uh, why you feel like it's so important.
0: Right, so it it basically is is perfect for what's going on right now in our country. So my mother, uh, back in the early mid-90s, she would travel back and forth to Tennessee, and she would tell me about our family history. Hmm. Um, And so she actually did all this research. So my great-grandfather, seven generations removed, was a man named Sherrod Bryant. And Sherrod Bryant was a uh, free man of color uh, during the time of slavery in the antebellum South, so pre pre Civil War, and he sold himself into indentured servitude, and uh, he then went on to become one of the wealthiest landowners in the South. And it was, you know, regardless of you know his obstacles. And so when my mother uh, was doing all this research, at that time, I was in the middle of my NFL career. So when she tried to tell me about it, you know, I was more concerned with, you know, the, the rims on my car and how my hair looked. I, you know, I was, I was, what, what are you doing? mom. So, um, unfortunately, in 2008, my mother was diagnosed with Alzheimer's. And, you know, so she didn't have a chance to publish her book. And she gave me the manuscript and she asked me if I would please have her book published. And then, you know, she passed away in 2013 um, before I had a chance to complete, you know, her wishes. Mm -hmm. So uh, I had the book published. It's called Bryant Acres and um, I had the book published and the proceeds from the sale of that book goes to uh, doing research for Alzheimer's and, it's just been a really great experience and you can uh the book is on amazon but you can also get the book at my if you get it from my website which is bryantacres.com um eight dollars of that money goes to fight alzheimer's and i'm just trying to take my mom's you know her mom her, her dream to the finish line with it so again it's com. the book's Bryant. it's a great and make sure you have your box of tissues when you read that book so. <laughs> It's a tearjerker for sure, and the
1: spelling of that is b r y a n t a c r e s dot com. And Correct. as Quinn said, you can find that on Amazon as well, but uh, encourage you to go to you know his website and so, so that eight dollars goes to my great grandmother lived with Alzheimer's for dementia. For yeah. about twelve years, man, and yeah, it's a, it's we were a so tight, disease. and we were yeah. so tight, and I used to, you know, I, she was my closest relative outside my parents growing up, and it was just, I really became aware of that, you know, that in, infliction, that disease, going to visit her and just slowly her forgetting me or confusing yeah. me with somebody else, man, and it's just, it's really hard to watch, and I, I, I feel for you as well with your mom.
0: Thank you. It, it is, it's brutal, and. You know, it's just getting worse for our older population. Yeah. One in 10 at age 65 develop yeah. dementia or Alzheimer's. And it's, it's one in five at age 75. And then one in three on into your 80s will have it. And it's really hard um, to watch your loved ones go through this, this affliction. Um, so I'm doing what I can to try to raise money and, and, and to try to fight it. How's it
1: going? I, I I know the book's been out now for what a couple of years or close to a couple of years. Yeah, but it's
0: going on going on two years now. It's going well. It's going well. And I actually wrote a screenplay based on my mom's book. So awesome. I've written you know, I've, I've written a few screenplays trying to get some stuff going. But I wrote a screenplay play based on it. And I actually I have some meetings. I I had a, a a movie deal potentially last year, but you know they you know how Hollywood is. They they wanted to own <laughs> all my intellectual property and kick me off the <laughs> off the thing. So that didn't work out, but I have some meetings and, you know, I'm trying to trying to work that and try to bring her the story that she wrote about our family history, you know, to the big screen.
1: Yeah. I see. I mean, I, I've, I, I was looking you up for uh, some background on this before we started talking on, on Google and I saw a picture of you with Will Smith, man, get him to back
0: this thing. <laughs> yeah. Will's, Will's a great guy. Will's a great guy. I've, I've had the opportunity to double him. Uh, on a few movies um i actually i don't know if you saw when he bungee jumped out of the helicopter into the grand canyon for his 50th birthday but, i did not uh, see that
1: i'll have to check yeah that out.
0: so i was uh, I, I was the test dummy for that so <laughs> i got to uh i got the bungee jump backwards out of a helicopter into the grand canyon scariest thing i've ever done in my life but it was also the most amazing thing i've ever done so i got to double him on i just actually finished doubling him on uh they're doing a movie about uh, Venus and Serena Williams' father, uh, Richard. Right. And uh, there was some stuff in that, so I got to double him on there and, and a couple of other shows I've done with him. So it's, uh, it's been, a, been a fun experience doing stunts. How you
1: holding up, man? Like we talked about earlier in this podcast, we ain't getting any younger, man. Our bodies start hey, to break down. You holding up all right with these stunts? Hey, listen,
0: it's not a, uh, it, it, it's not a long-term plan for me to keep doing stunts. <laughs> Let's just put it that way. So what I'm doing is I'm, I'm – uh, I'm actually doing some writing and producing. Uh, we did a short film. We were about halfway through with that in March when we had to shut down production because of COVID-19. Yeah. So we're going to come back and finish that. So this film is actually called Just Bake Cookies. And really it has two story components in it. The first part is um, the, the grandfather is raising his grandson uh, who has um, anger issues. He gets into fights. You know, He's upset. You know, his, his mother passed away from cancer years before. So his grandfather takes him down to the local martial arts school for some reinforcements. The kid becomes a world champion MMA martial artist. At the end, he's doing an interview. He pays homage to his pops, his grandfather. And then he uh, goes and his grandfather develops Alzheimer's. Now, when the kid gets in trouble earlier in the film, his you know grandfather always makes some cookies. And he says, Pops, how come whenever I get in trouble, you bake me cookies? because cookies make you realize that no matter how bad things are, that you're still loved. So at the end of the film, he goes to visit his grandfather who now has Alzheimer's and he pulls out cookies and him and his grandfather eat cookies together. So that's, that story. So it has a component, you know, just about my mom, you know, the grandfather kind of represents my mom, Mm. but what's, what's really great about it is my oldest son, who you know let's be honest he was a hard kid like he got he got into some trouble you know some kids do right he was doing all the things that you know drive parents crazy but i used to when he'd get in trouble i used to always bake him cookies and i told him i believed in him and now he is just he's just a great human being he's actually the director of this film so, That's awesome, and then we're going yeah, to use that as a vehicle just to raise money for Alzheimer's and enter it into some film festivals and things like that. So to answer your question, I, uh, I'm, trying, I'm doing some writing, I'm doing some producing um, because, you know, t- to be perfectly honest, <laughs> getting, getting thrown through a plate glass window isn't quite feeling uh, as, as comfortable as it, as it once did, you know. So
1: you're transitioning more to using your brain instead of your body.
0: Exactly. Exactly.
1: <laughs> and that's good. I know I've done, you know, when my, grand, my great-grandmother was going through it, I did, you know, research. And, and you know, the research and, and, and um, you know, money being raised is great for Alzheimer's. But, you know, and we learn things all the time. But, you know, using your brain, reading, doing things like that are all things that can help. I, I've learned through yep. research on, on the disease. And, and yeah. it may not prevent it, but it, it, it certainly... People should read and, and consume and, and that stuff as much as they can because it, it is helpful.
0: Absolutely. And then the other thing is nutrition, right? Yeah. Nutrition and diet. Um, a lot of, so, so, you know, in our food pyramid, right? It, people always talk about low fat, right. right? But that's actually, our brain needs fat. Mm. So there's lots of things you can do there, right? Like I take an MCT oil, you can take turmeric, you can take, you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. Omega 369 oils, things like that. So you have to keep your brain lubricated, you know? So be careful of that whole low fat, don't eat any fat, you know? Um, it's not the fat that affects us, it's the sugar that we eat. Right. You know, that's 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 the, the enemy, is the sugar. So, you know, protein, fat. Low carbs, low sugar. That's the that's the key right there. So um, but yeah, there's a lot of research out there. And uh you know, you can also check out my my foundation website is it's the an early intervention foundation dot org. Okay. If people wanted to go go look at that.
1: Yeah, I will uh I'll 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 link that in this uh in with this, when I post this podcast, I will make sure to link that in there and also the book link so people can find that as well. And, okay. uh,
0: thank you
1: great causes. And, uh, it's every time I've, you know, I, I, I see you kind of passing by through social media feeds or, you know, if I'm looking through news things, man, you always have stuff going on and it's awesome to see how involved you get with things. And, um, it's been awesome to talk to you and catch up and get your perspective on this whole thing because uh there is, you know, we laugh about it earlier and we we're all getting older. I turned 53 last month
0: and uh
1: you know, the one thing I've learned over time is nothing there's nothing like experience, man. And yep. you know, Absolutely. as you get older and you're more experienced, you're more wise and uh it's good to uh it's good for younger folks and I tell my son this all the time who's 15. You know, you may think you know it all, man, but l- pay attention to the older folks, people that are getting older, because they've lived it.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think the key, too, is, is just making sure, man, that people, re- you know, young people have to realize that this, our country, the United States, this is the best country on the planet. Right? So you don't hate your country. I think, you know, there's more of us that are together than are not together. Um, so just keep that in mind, man. It's all about love, loving each other, loving your neighbor, loving your brothers, your sisters and all that. And, uh, you know, you want to just get rid of the hate part. It just should be love. Well said, man. And a, and
1: a great, uh, note to end on again, Quinn, I really appreciate you joining me for this and, and sharing your perspective and, and giving Hawkeye fans a little look you know, behind the curtain for, from your experiences. And I think that's important again, as we're, you know, all this stuff kind of connects. It's important. Discussion is important. Listening is important. It's all stuff that we should continue to try to, um, you know, consume and do. Don't just, as you said, not like somebody because of the way they look or what you think about them. Just try to, try to engage, man. Try to get, you know, try to get to know people, you know, where yep. you said, I believe it. I mean, I think there's more, a heck of a lot more good people than there are bad. Absolutely. All right, my friend, thanks again for joining me. I really appreciate it.
0: You got it. Thanks Rob. I really appreciate you.